This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 53. This week we talk about build, build, and more build. We got Windows 10, Azure, HoloLens, cross-platform Visual Studio, and more. Carl, build. It was awesome. <laughs> okay, so let's get to that in just a second. That's what this episode is entirely about. Uh, but we do want to go through listener feedback real quick. Uh, and actually, we're only going to talk about one thing, just because it was so epic. Uh, we had... Um, is it David West? Is that how you think you pronounce it? Yep, looks like that to there's, me. There's an extra S also in the t- second one is silent. But he had a, a pretty extensive podcast review. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about that, Carl, but it was just an entire blog post talking about what he liked about the show. So we love that. Yeah, and I, I think he really nailed out just kind of, you know, what we do and what our goals are with this. So we really appreciate it when people do stuff like this. Yep, and he's got a cool 8-bit theme, so... Um, I don't know if that's why he likes our podcast, but uh, there's probably more to it than that. But I love his blog because of the 8-bit theme. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about build. So what do you want to start with? You want to start with Windows? Uh, I, I just want to start taking a step back at, at the very sure. beginning. You know, For people who don't follow us on Twitter, um, I, I did try to tweet out a little bit more than normal this year. And I want to say I got right up in the front. I was center stage, second row. I was in front of the reporters. So it was pretty pretty awesome. So you got the you got the best experience at build. I, I did get the best day one keynote experience. So and lots of people hated you for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was I, I, there were a lot of people that uh, ended up in overflow, you know, so they ended up just watching on the video. And, and I heard some complaints, you know, why? Why did I, you know, come in to build so that I could watch a video? And and for me, you know, like I wasn't I, I didn't I wasn't even, um, you know, technically part of the conference. And that's not what it's all about. It was about seeing everybody outside of there. Um, all the people that you talk to online, seeing them in person, discussing the the announcements at build, uh, those types of things. So streaming it online was, was perfectly fine. I had to, uh, my, my streaming experience though was pretty bad because I couldn't find any good Wi-Fi, So I ended up streaming it over my phone. Ouch. And I can tell you that the, the live stream for the day one keynote was about six gigabytes. So my my data plan is almost completely eaten up and I have another 20 days before that renews. <laughs> so should we uh, get to it? Yep. OK, Windows and I have so on my blog, I have I just have a, a giant what I call a mega post. And it's really an outline of everything at um, at build that that I saw that I thought was mildly interesting. That was, you know, even worth mentioning. But the the difference here, there's a lot of. Um, different blogs that will will cover this event and they have, you know, all their commentary and they, they have really good stuff and they're doing great things. But what I do is I just keep it a simple outline and and actually link to the different videos and announcements. So you can kind of use it as, as a high level and then dig into the things that you're interested in. So what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of go through that outline and probably over the next few days too, I'm going to keep updating that. And I assume you'll, you'll put like a snapshot of that on the MS Dev Show and probably link over to my blog as well. Yep. 
Um, so I'll have a, you know, kind of a living list of the things that we talk about over there. So first thing, uh, UAP apps are now UWP apps. What does UWP stand for? Well, let's just step back a bit. It was, you might, yep. you might know those as Metro, as Modern, as Windows <laughs> Store. Uh, yep. So UAP was uh, Universal app, app Platform, and mm-hmm. now it's Universal Windows Platform. So it's very specific. You know, it, it is universal, but it's only within Windows. It's not going to cover everything. So you're not going to be able to write this in your C Sharp and XAML and deploy to Android or Apple Watch or whatever. You know, but yeah. anything within the Windows ecosystem, you can de- deploy the UWPs to going forward. Yeah, it sounded like some people were were confused by um, universal or universal app platform because they they were thinking that that would work on any platform. So this hopefully adds some clarity and. Hopefully this is, you know, cross your fingers. This is the last name. Well, you know, I, you know, they're going to have new names for new stuff going forward, but I definitely yeah. think that it clears up where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So what do you want to talk about next in regards to this? So, you know, I attended a, a bunch of sessions and, and I just want to get the high levels of some of them. Uh, the next one is live tiles, notifications and action center. Um, okay. I, I I'm really into some of the unique features that the platform has. And to me, that's live tiles and some of the new things that happened in notifications and action center. So with, with live tiles, if you, you're a developer and you've ever worked with them, you got to grab these tile templates and there's something like 80, some of them um, there it's an XML format and it's kind of a huge mess to work with trying to figure out which one you want. Uh, there's the added complexity that some of the ones, if you grab a template, they'll look different on the phone than in big windows. So, okay. They made a promise last year that saying, yeah, we got like 80 some, there's not going to be any new templates. So what they created was this way to create XML adaptive tiles where you can use um, XML to guide and hint the format of your tile the way you want. So you can add images and, and text and tiles and groupings and get really complex, but just using that simple XML. So that's what we have today. Uh, they did say that some of the things they're working on won't make it out for initial release, but it'll be one of the releases that come out soon after you'll be able to get XAML tiles. So if you have like a user control that's built up in XAML, you'll be able to just push an update with that XAML. They're also, they're also working on JSON format. So a lot of people, including myself really are not a fan of XML. Everybody for the most part on the web loves JSON. We're going to get that coming out soon. And the, so why wasn't this just free form to begin with? In, any thoughts on that? Um, you know, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you just say, Hey, give me a picture of what you want this live tile to look like. Were they trying to, you know, add some, make it, make it so that it was sort of consistent or, or did they do it for a technical reason? Any thoughts? I, I think when we look back to, you know, how Metro and modern uh, design began, it was a lot more prescriptive that, you know, it was a lot tighter. And I think that right. that format kind of, helped with that to stay prescriptive and more uniform, but now they're, they're really loosening up the reins. Um, there's a lot of really cool things. So uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to the exact uh, session for this. It was done by uh, 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 Thomas, Thomas Fen- Fennel, Thomas Fennel. I, I, I know him pretty well. Um, and he's in charge of these feature sets. Uh, the other big thing that came out with this is in interactive notifications, you can add buttons and custom actions behind a notification event. And, mm-hmm. and that shows a lot of promise. So check out that session if you're interested in any of those things. Um, this is one of those things, uh, as we talk to some of the later features later on, you can actually come back and re-add these uh, live tiles and notifications really easily. 
Cool. What is this? Web of apps. All right. I, I'm not sure how much you actually even know about this one, Jason. No, but I haven't heard about that. So you're familiar with like uh, launching another app with a data URI. Right. So what this does is it kind of extends that in a couple of ways. You can ca- call an app with a data URI, but it, you can also say, I want to, I'm expecting a result to be returned. So what you're essentially doing is I'm going to launch another app. It has its own API. I'm going to launch it with a REST style API URI, and it's going to return data. So now I have an uh, an app server, not a web server, but an app server. And then um, I'm still wrapping my head around some of this other stuff because just because there's not the SDK to play with. But they said you can actually open uh, you know a two way pipe then, so you can have an app server that you talk back and forth with. And the example that they gave is you might have an app that's a store. And there might be an, another app on your phone that's a bank. You can use that store app to make that purchase through the app to that bank app. Uh, so I get the title now. So it's like making apps work like websites, basically. Exactly. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And that's really cool. Not not just between you know multiple apps um, of your own, which is really useful. So if you have multiple apps, they work even better together. But I was thinking if Dropbox adds some of this... Uh, app API support to it, people can more easily just talk to that Dropbox app directly and not have to worry about making all the SDK and web calls themselves. Right, right. Yeah, it'll be interesting then to see if if Dropbox sort of models that internal API after their public one or how that's going to work. You know, I wonder if there's going to be an advantage to talking to the to the Dropbox app because, yeah, the Dropbox app could have some things cached as an example. So if you're in an online scenario, you could potentially still access those documents. Exactly. So um, very interesting. So it'll be it'll be cool to see what um, what app developers come up with there. Uh, what's next? Subscription based in-app purchases are coming in Windows 10 apps. And, oh, excellent. And There's probably a lot of people are asking for that. Yeah, a lot of people were rolling their own. I mean, if you made a consumable uh, purchase and then held on in memory, like how long it lasted for, you could kind of, you know, do a similar thing to a subscription in-app purchase. But it involved writing a lot of code yourself. Mm-hmm. So this is coming as part of the Dev Center, as part of the API. So I I think this is going to make a lot of people happy because um, in-app purchases are kind of evolving. People are, or especially developers, are wanting to say, hey, this is good for a period of time and to get that recurring revenue in. So I think this is going to be a big one to getting developers uh, really hooked on the platform. Yep. And if the platform does it, then it saves the developers a ton of work. So it is sounds good to me. And another monetization thing is carrier billing across all your devices. So yep. so if you have a phone that has kind of carrier building billing to uh, like AT&T, Verizon or wherever else that you get your uh, uh, phones from, you can actually sync that across as a payment through like big Windows store, because mm-hmm. essentially it's going to be one store. But on Windows, you'll still be able to use that as a payment option. That's interesting. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah. And then uh, single dev center. This is this is good because this is kind of a pain today. If you go to, I think it's dev.windows.com, you get you get this this dialogue or this this choice, and it says, "Do you want to see the Windows Store or the Windows Phone Store?" And it's like, uh, "I want to see the Windows Store." Well, e- even more confusing if you go to like dev.windowsphone.com, it takes you to dev.windows.com, and then ask <laughs> and then ask you the question, and then do, do you want to go to Windows or Windows Phone? You'll click on Windows <laughs> Phone, and it'll be like slash dashboard. It's like ah. <laughs> That that's that's nuts. 
it shouldn't be that funny but yeah yeah okay so uh so yeah so that's cool so this is the one dev center uh that you'll be able to submit your one package so in windows 10 the uh type of universal apps that you'll be making will have one binary output and then you can say how this is represented in the store is it just for phones just for you know big windows is it iot hololens whatever and it'll you know, percolate through all those different systems when you're in the, you know, you know, on your phone and looking for it, you may or may not be able to see it depending upon this, but as a submission option, it's a lot faster. Uh, it's also really frustrating when you're adding all your metadata multiple times, like the, your description of your app. I'm sure it, it, it just got messy. Yep. So, so you can manage it all at once. Um, you can manage your ads within uh, dev center. Um, it's, it's just a lot, a lot faster. Uh, in that way. So I'm really looking forward to that consolidation and everything else that it brings. Um, I think moving on to the next thing, uh, as we're talking about universal apps, um, the samples on GitHub have been updated. Mm-hmm. So if you go to uh, github.com slash Microsoft slash Windows dash universal dash samples, you can see um, a lot of the demos that were given were kind of based off of some of those samples and uh, with some of the new features that there are uh, that were announced this week. You can see examples of those as well. And well, cool, yeah, it's, it looks like almost every every file and every folder was updated. It says samples update for build 2015. Yeah. And there's a lot more that was just added, period. Excellent. OK, and then initial design guidance. Yeah. So one of the things that a lot of people have been waiting for is like, what how should we be designing our apps now? Is there new guidance that there are? There's new controls, there's right. new things, but how should we stitch these all together? And, and this isn't a, a final document that should be coming out soon. Uh, but there's a link in our show notes here that shows you know, like, here's, here's our initial design guidance. This is how you should be putting these together. This is how your apps should be looking as a guideline. Um, they were really clear in all of the sessions that I had, uh, went to that were design related that, um, very early Metro modern stuff was prescriptive. Like you will do it this way. These are more like, Hey, we found out it works better. If we do it this way, it might not work for you, but you might want to try it first. So it's so a good, good starting point. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. So it's like talking about uh, hamburgers. Yeah. Command putting commands at the bottom of the screen. And then it, it's nice because it relates it to the uh, first party windows apps. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. I'm just kind of looking through here. Yeah, it talks about the Photos app. You know, why they use circles and not squares for images. Yeah, very cool. Task switching. Okay, so we'll have a link to that. Uh, And then do you want to talk about bridges? Yeah, um, they had in the announcements this very large bridges section. And this is, you know, ways that they're going to make the Windows platform better through four sets of bridges. And this is, you know, ways to get additional types of code into the platform that there weren't before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one, we're going to do these out of order from how they did it, but uh, it was Codename Project Astoria. So you can now bring Android code and compile it and turn that into a universal Windows uh, application. Yep. So what's cool about this this one in particular is they said in many cases, as long as you're not using uh, like Google Play APIs and you're not doing any real native hardware calls, that in many cases, you can just wrap it in a, in a solution, hit build, and a lot of times it'll work. Mm-hmm. Um, they are limited at the current time. It's not going to make you know full desktop applications. You're not going to be able to use this on big windows. Um, it, it'll be limited to Windows devices of 8 inches screens or smaller. 
Okay. So uh, it's a little bit limited, but at least it's something. It, it, and then, and then you said that the Google play services don't work, but uh, so would you basically end up if deafing those and pointing them to Microsoft services? Um, I guess it depends, right? It depends, but I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is really cool way. If you have, you know, an extended legacy code base um, to get it onto windows with minimal effort. Um, uh, I know where I'm working at. They have a really large Android base. And when I mentioned, you know, some of these capabilities this morning, they got pretty excited. Yeah. Um, the next one, the next bridge was Project Islandwood. And it was about bringing iOS code uh, and compiling that to be a universal Windows application. And this uh, is when the, the jaws dropped in the in the audience. Yeah. Like nobody was expecting this. Everybody was expecting Android, but not iOS. Yeah. Th- I mean, there was like a dead silence for a bit. I mean, it, it was <laughs> it was actually kind of cool. Um, and, and they even showed Objective C in Visual Studio. I mean, er, the code highlighting and everything. Um, so this is going to be a little bit re- less restrictive than um, uh, Project Astoria. You will be able to use mobile, tablet, desktop apps. But it's my understanding that um, in many cases there might be a little bit more uh, code to tweak. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big announcement around this was not only does this work well, but Candy Crush did it. And right. it's been in the store for like a year. So it works. Um, and apparently King has been very happy with it. Yeah. That's great to hear. And then classic Windows apps. Yeah. And, and actually, I was going to, uh, I, that's not in the code, uh, the, the show notes. And I was going to ask you mm-hmm. what the C referred to, because if you look at all of these, the projects, the first letter re, uh, relates back to the first letter of what it meant. So this next one is Project Centennial, which refers to classic Windows apps. That's .NET and Win32 code. And I actually attended uh, two sessions on this. Um, it was really cool. If you have, uh, an installer file and you want to turn uh, that application into a universal windows app, but you don't want to mess with the code. It works fine. Uh, in a lot of cases you can, they'll have a, a converter application that you just run the installer in the presence of that converter application. It'll take note of where in the registry you're putting things, where over the file system you're putting things and it'll kind of encapsulate that and repackage that as an Apex. And that yeah, means this is, this is just mind blowing. This it, is, this is really cool. It's, it's really cool uh, technology. So that means you can take, and, and they showed this with uh, Adobe editions. So, you know, yeah, it was uh what Photoshop elements. Oh I yeah. Think? Yeah. My bad. Photoshop ele- elements. Um, yeah. Uh, they, uh, they took the MSI that they had and it failed. And then they mm-hmm. contacted them. They're like, Oh, you're doing some funky licensing thing in, in the installer. So they just asked them to comment out the licensing. So they, took the MSI that had the commented out licensing and it worked out of the box. So you, yeah. you can imagine how much, you know, code there is and how much weird things that Adobe is doing in some of their stuff just to get, you know, the performance and everything that they need. And they took little tweaking and zero coding other than li- commenting out some licensing in the installer. Yeah. And they really just need to, they need to change how they do their licensing because yeah. it's in this, um, well, sort of sandboxed environment. Well, if you look at it, you're now just relying upon what the store gives you. The store gives you licensing. The store yeah. the store gives you the installation. All this stuff that you you would have to spend a lot of time on. I mean, I've helped written an installer before and it wasn't pretty. <laughs> yeah. And then this also handles things like updates, right? Yeah. So the the user can actually just stay up to date with their with the latest software. This is it, this is really cool because uh, you know, there, there's just a lot of applications out there and I've talked to, to partners and, you know, yeah. they they tell me, 
um, you know, they have these, these, these giant applications that they, they just, they're not going to rewrite them anytime soon yep. to be a universal windows platform app, but this kind of gives them, uh, something to do in the interim. Yep. And, uh, this was based on the app V technology and you get a lot of really cool things with that. When you mentioned the updating, if you only update a couple lines of code, it only streams the difference in the bits that go down with it. So, yeah. so if you have like, you know, a, you know, a couple hundred meg, you know, application as it's a binary, but you only change, you know, two or three K worth of stuff. The end user only gets the two or three K done and it does a diff and it just replaces what it has to. Yep. So yeah, the future is definitely in not having to like reinstall your apps or having custom updaters in every single app. I mean, those are, those are, those are legacy things that nobody really wants to deal with. Yeah. And, and another thing that I, I guess I knew it in the back of my head, but I actually talked to the guy that uh, actually implemented some of this stuff. And he mm-hmm. says that, you know, it's it's not only like that when you download, but it's only installed once on your file or on your system. So let's just say you have a SQLite in an application and another application has the same stuff. Since it's a binary match, you know, when they do the hash, you will oh, yeah. only get one copy of SQLite that's shared across them all. And it's done by hashes. So everybody who has that version will just share that same uh, binary bits. Right. It's an interesting solution to DLL hell. Um, yeah, I watched, I actually did watch the uh, session on that afterward and, uh, it, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. You said it was, so it's, it's based on AppV. I know it's, it's sort of, um, it's an sort evolution. of a separate thing, but it's using, but it's using the same technology. Well, AppV will continue to exist just yep. to be clear, but this is, uh, um, kind of neat. Cause yeah, it's, it's virtualizing your registry. It's virtualizing the file system so that that app, see, you know, it doesn't know the difference, but your system is able to keep everything straight and and handle the versioning and all that. So it's very, very cool. And the other, another benefit you get out of, like you said, that virtualized registry is um, right now in current big windows, if you uninstall app, it's going to spew things in the registry. Next time you reboot your computer, it loads the entire registry into memory. And since Mm -hmm. there's more stuff, it takes longer because you're not putting all that in the global registry. It's a smaller hive that gets merged only when it needs to your computer is going to stay cleaner longer. Mm-hmm. And then when you do finally get rid of it, it's just going to delete that Apex container and then everything's gone. You don't have to worry about something missing from the registry or getting left behind because it was in a separate hive that only got merged and never actually got placed in there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Is that all we have for bridges? Oh, uh, uh, we had one more bridge. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There's one more. Yeah. The web code. Uh, so using yep. actual web applications hosted out on the internet, um, that was Project Westminster. Now, I don't have as many details about this one, um, except that uh, there's some new SDKs you can use for your, your web applications that when you put them through the store, you can get some of those integrated experiences like live tiles and notifications and access mm-hmm. to storage and, and a few of those other things. Yeah, I think this is... Um partially an evolution or maybe even, or maybe just inspired by, um, WAT, which is the windows application toolkit. I believe that's what it stands for. Mm-hmm. So it's at wat.codeplex.com. And, uh, basically that uses a, um, um, well, actually there's another project too. What was the other project called? If I can remember what it was called, I'll have to dig it up, but there's a, there's another project that helps you generate, uh, apps from a website. It gives you an iOS an Android and a windows app. But basically it uses a standardized manifest file for your website that says how to how it should get wrapped. Um, what is the scope of the domain name? Um, and then things like, um, you know, the live tile like you were mentioning or, or those coming in as, in as extensions. I'm not quite sure all the details, 
but basically you're just putting uh, some metadata out there that that says, hey, this is a web page, but guess what? It's also an app. Um, you know, here are some app related things, and then uh, Windows will be able to take advantage of that na- natively, which would be pretty cool. Uh, what do we got next? Hololens. Yes. So they- no, this thing's kind of boring. Let's skip it. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so what what's going on with Hololens? Have you seen one? I actually got to try one on. So uh, I was one of the lucky. Awesome. Pe- I was one of the lucky people. Right away in the middle of my first session, I got an email saying, "Be at this building in a half hour, and you can have a half hour one on one session with it." And uh, I will say this is the most security I've ever seen for a device. <laughs> I, I'm not going to go into too much depth on that, but. Um, you know, I, I did get the uh, the architect demo that they did show in the uh, in, in the keynote. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I just found myself as soon as I started using it, and, and you know its key features. I found myself grinning. I could feel it on my face, and I could not remove my grin <laughs> until after it was done. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. It was it was really impressive how you can interact even with a mouse. You could take the mouse off your screen, work with an application, and continue on to work with you know, the 3d model that was in front of me or use yep. that stuff. Um, I always bring up a series of books when I talk about the HoloLens. uh, Damon and freedom TM, their books by Daniel Suarez. There's mm-hmm. a piece of technology in there that is essentially, you know, you know, three to five versions of HoloLens from now. And I highly recommend reading those books. There's you, you see a lot of vision for what a, a tool like this can give us. I actually read the, the first one uh, recently. And yeah, it was really cool. I, I, this, this might sound in, in hindsight, this sounds kind of idiotic, but w- what's kind of neat about this, this HoloLens, they showed this demo where it was mapping out the room. So you have a, you have a 3d representation of what's in the room. And what I realized whenever I read that book was if you have that and you're, you're, you, you identify everything in the room, you can basically apply any type of game AI. You know, we've, we have all this investment in like game AI it can be applied to that, right? So you can have, um, you know, if you know what your virtual space is, like game characters in a game, they know to not run into walls. They know how to walk around walls. They know how to strategize um, or at least appear to strategize, right? So you can you can do that same thing in the real world, which I, I thought was pretty cool. So yeah, being able to, to map the room, you're now bringing all of that into, you know, sort of a virtual world inside of inside of that code it can do all this stuff and then project it back in the real world, which I, I think is really cool being able to round trip that information. I think that that was kind of a cool barrier to, to throw down. So how was the, how was the tracking and the resolution and all the tech? How, how, how was that? So one of the first things I noticed is there is absolutely no lag, no stutter at yeah. all, all to this, anything that happened in there, it was, it was fluid. It felt like it belonged in the natural wow. environment. That's amazing. Um, they have, they have a mechanism where, there's there's certain objects that should feel solid and and they mm-hmm. look absolutely solid and a few objects they should be a little bit transparent you should be able to work through them and it, it just everything looked natural they put a lot of uh, attention to detail to making sure that looked and felt well um now one of the things that was a little bit of drawback is the field of view was a little bit smaller than I think would be useful that's what everybody's saying now everybody's saying that but I think a few people exaggerated how small it was, I mean, if, yeah. if you're doing any kind of task base, you know, item or you're working with, you know, something that required, you know, you didn't need to look over a vast area, it was more than enough. And you were totally immersed doing whatever that task was. Mm-hmm. Now, as for things like if you had to step back and look at a scene and, you know, see something in the periphery, 
you did have to move your head quite a bit just to find that. And, and this is something that, you know, this is not a final thing. They did say that it would get adjusted. We don't know how, how long or how much, but you know, I feel that this is something that they're looking at. They will, um, they will fix because apparently the previous version had a much bigger one and people really enjoyed that. So I'm assuming there's a lot of hardware challenges that they're working with, you know, combining the the unit that you were wearing. Was it the one that was all, it was just on the head. That was all the processing. Yes. There was no external cables. I mean, it was all one unit enclosed. Okay. Cause that's pretty promising. Cause I mean, (laughs) I I just, I don't know how they're pulling this off. I mean, (laughs) to have, to have, to be able to, um, process the video uh, that, I mean, that alone is a lot. Plus it has to overlay the infrared 3d information. Okay. That's probably not quite as much, but there's also uh, a 3d sound that they have to that. I mean, if there was something making noise and you turn yeah. your head, it stayed stationary. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, CPU. Yeah. Sound is actually pretty easy in it, this day it, and age. It is, but relatively speaking, I'm just saying that's another, it's feature. another thing. Pile, yeah. It's another thing piled on. And then, and then to actually render this thing. So, I'm wondering if um, I'm wondering what the technology is to do 3D. You know, we we have graphics processors, which are highly specialized at displaying 3D graphics. I wonder what specialized hardware exists to actually process incoming 3D data. You know, are they wondering if they're are they inventing like a new thing or is it the hardware out of the connect that was already, you know, sort of encoding that? I I wonder how all that works. I I have more questions than, than answers, but they they did mention that there is a new dedicated chip that they are using, but okay. The, the details on exactly what that means is, you know, they're tight lipped on that now. Yeah. Now you pretty much have to. Yeah. Now one of the other sessions, so I just had the 30 minutes one-on-one, there was a Mm -hmm. four hour, a programming uh, example where you could go through some of the code it took and get a much more in depth time. And I talked to a few people that did those. And um, while you can use just, you know, a a regular universal windows app, like, you know, uh, like Netflix or Skype and get that in the HoloLens, they were working with the 3d stuff Mm -hmm. and um, the 3d technology that they were using was unity. So they were making 3d unity models and interacting with it that way. Uh, But it sounds like any 3d technology that works in windows as a whole, will be able to work with this. Yeah. I'm still, yeah. It's just amazing that the tech that's in such a small device that um, has to process all that data, has to display something in 3D, and and the battery has to last more than five minutes, right, for it well, to actually be useful. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and they also mentioned that if you have multiple people with multiple HoloLens, you'll get that shared experience. Shared environment. So I think I that's think almost that's, that's almost that's almost the easy part when it comes down to it, other than other than actually transmitting like what's going on in that virtual environment. No, but I think that's going to be one of the features of it that really makes it click for for certain yeah. people to be able to collaborate like that or just, you know, be at home and have that same, you know, working with whatever it is at the same time. Uh, yep. It's, it's going to be huge. OK, I'll, I'll take one. <laughs> OK, so let's move on. <laughs> Carl, I'm sorry to interrupt this, but I got to talk about something that's really cool. Uh, so what I want to I want to talk about Infragistics. So they have controls for pretty much every platform. So they have, for example, for desktop applications, they cover controls for Windows Forms, WPF, Windows 8, uh, lots of mobile controls. So Windows Phone, iOS, Android, and and also Xamarin, which is really cool. So I was working on uh, a Xamarin project recently, and uh, they have controls that will actually work within Xamarin Forms, and then they automatically work across all of the platforms. And then they also cover web, ASP.NET MVC, jQuery, you name it, they got it. Yeah, I'm working on a WPF app right now, and I wanted to check out some of their controls. They got an app that you can download where it has examples of 
everything that you need. So if you want like a color picker or something, you can go on there, you can play with it. You can toggle all the different options. They even show like all the different XAML and code behind that's needed to interact with it. It's it's a nice way to get used to uh, something before you just go ahead, jump in and, and pay for it. And then they also have this amazing prototyping pool out there, tool out there called Indigo Studio. So this is really cool. I haven't seen this before, but you go out there and you can actually rapidly build an app with this application. So you can build a, a demo. So if you have an idea, you can actually prototype this and then it's usable. You can actually navigate through all the screens um, and you could show this to your stakeholders and get funding for your project. It's really cool. And then you can actually demo this right out in your browser. So there's some samples out there. If you go out and check out their Indigo Studio and scroll down to the sample section, uh, you can actually view some of these samples right in your browser, which is really cool. So you got to go check those out. And not only that, but they have community uh, made uh, samples as well. So things that other people have just donated out for you to check out. Very cool. And then there's also a lot of great enterprise solutions such as Report Plus for making dashboards and then also Share Plus, which is a great way to work with SharePoint in a, in a mobile application. So check it all out at infragistics.com. And there are free trials, so you have nothing to lose. And like you said, you can download these applications and check all this stuff out ahead of time. So we want to thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. Uh, Continuum. So we already heard about Continuum, but it got a really cool new feature. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, the cool new feature is phones. Phones are going to be supporting this. And yeah, when you have your average uh, application and it'll work as it does in normal use. But when you hook up a Bluetooth keyboard, uh, mouse and some sort of external display, uh, if it's big enough, it's going to tr- you can transform that app. And the example that they showed is if you have Office on your phone and you're working with it and it's, you know, narrow, confined uh, phone mode, mm-hmm. it, it you know, it, it's as limited as the UI that they have available. But when they put it on a display with a keyboard and mouse, you got the full, not a subset, but the full Office. When it, and right. I, I think that was just kind of blew my mind because, you know, you they keep saying this is one package that you put everywhere. Yeah, it's one binary. It is so one you binary. Have, so you, you already have, quote unquote, the desktop so, version. So you have the full desktop version on your yep. phone. And, and when they showed that, even though it was a simulation at this point, they didn't have it you know, completely working. I mean, th- this was something I think brought a lot of excitement back into their phone. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't nobody else can do that. I mean, if I, I, Android has done something similar in the past. Um, Apple couldn't do this if they wanted to, because they, they don't have, I guess you could show the iPad app, um, but that would be pretty useless because, you know, on a non-touch screen, it would be useless. Um, so this is, this is just awesome. And and both Jason and I were talking to a CTO of a large place that said, this is all he wants his salespeople having is windows phones with this, uh, continuum feature on it. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause salespeople, I mean, um, at least in, in the, the industries that, that I've worked with in the past, they're mostly they're, they're, you know, their laptop is mostly for email and presentations, um, and those types of apps, you know, they don't have things like visual studio, um, in those types, and they're not doing like video editing or anything like that. So, so yeah, it was absolutely right. You get the, the HDMI dongle and wherever you go, you just plug that thing in and just do it from there. And there's a real cool factor there. Um, the only, my only thing on this is, you know, not to, not to like, go anti-excitement here but you know it's not like i'm gonna go over to a friend's house maybe at your place you might have like a monitor sitting there and i can (laughs) plug in and hook up a wireless mouse and keyboard but i I don't know if i'm actually going to go through that work of doing that it's it's kind of excessive um it really would be geared more toward um it would be really cool for people who you know if their position they only have to use these these new apps 
and you have like an open workspace and you actually plop down your phone, plug into the charger and and start running all these apps on there. So there are cool scenarios, but I don't know how often I'm going to specifically use this. I guess we'll have to wait and see. No, but like you mentioned, there's a lot of places that do have dedicated empty PCs that are just sitting there 99% of the time doing nothing. And if, yeah. you, if you can essentially remove the PC and just leave the monitor and uh, keyboard and mouse, that's a big savings towards enterprises. Yep. And don't forget, all TVs are monitors, too. I mean, in this day and age. Yep. Go to any hotel room or friend's house. And um, especially with like that red mirror HDMI cable, I could come over and just plug that in and I could use your your TV to check my mail. That wouldn't be rude at all. <laughs> uh, oh, and it also works over uh, Miracast. So it's HDMI or Miracast, which is really cool. Um, so I could just Miracast it to your Xbox One. Uh, let's see here. Windows 10 preview for IoT is available. So yeah, you can go out and download this today. So it's an image for um, Miniboard Max, which is an Atom-based uh, IoT board. And it also works on the Raspberry Pi 2. So you can go buy a $32 um, you know, computer, basically, and install Windows 10 on it. And it'll let you run a single app in either headed or headless mode. And uh, you can start playing with this thing today. So if you build that UWP app, it will work on um, you know, everything ultimately from the Xbox down to this tiny, tiny little $35 computer and windows 10 is uh, free on that device. So we'll have links to get started in the show notes for that. Yeah. Another cool announcement. I, I thought I put the link in here, but I can't seem to find it is Arduino also announced a partnership with yes. Microsoft. So you can get windows 10 certified Arduino components. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll add that in here. Windows 10 certified Arduino. Okay. Uh, should we move on to Azure? Woohoo, I love Azure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I'll just kind of I'll walk through these. Uh, so there's a couple things in here that uh, I'll I'll go through quicker than others. So for example, the Azure SD.NET SDK 2.6 is now available. Um, let me walk through that list. There's a couple things in here. There's HD Insight improvements. Um, the in-roll caching uses the latest storage SDK, which is good. So basically some version updates for the libraries in there. Um, there's some general tools or there's tools in there for the new app service features. Um, there's some new templates in there for the Azure resource manager for virtual machines, networking and storage. So the Azure resource manager, for those who haven't looked at that, it's a way of managing, uh, different Azure resources, basically with one, uh, JSON based template. So you can go in there and say, hey, this application needs a compute, it needs a database, and it needs you know uh, this network. And you can basically apply that and manage it all in, in one step. Uh, and then there's also diagnostic improvements in the SDK. Um, let's see here. Next one up is this data lake service. So this is an HDFS uh, compatible file system. Um, and this is kind of neat because it's it's basically... It's a place to store all of your unstructured data and it's designed for basically unlimited storage. So you don't really, you don't have to worry about hitting any kind of limit here. Uh, And it's also optimized for high throughput and low latency. So it's good for even IOT scenarios. So you just can dump everything there and query it right from that data lake service. Um, And then the next one, Project Oxford. I don't know if you, how much you had looked at this, Carl. I know I was talking about it, Uh, but this has some neat features. So this has some APIs in there. Uh, there's an API for uh, face detection, and this actually powers that howold.net. Uh, so it's how, how dot how yeah. <laughs> dash old.net. That's hard to say. Um, and this, this kind of went viral because you can upload a photo and uh, it will actually tell you the age of the people in the photo, which is really cool. So that's using, using this face detection API. Um, there's also speech recognition, uh, speech recognition API in here, which I think is part of the, the Bing functionality, but this wraps that up real nice into an API. 
And then there's a vision information API. And this is really cool. So we'll have a link to this whole Project Oxford. It's at projectoxford.ai. Uh, but this this is really neat because you can upload a photo and it it will tell you, you know, there's like pictures of like bread and things like that. And it'll tell you uh, what's in there and, and what the different categories are. Um, I was going to go out there. It's kind of neat, too, because it'll tell you things like um, how racy the photo is. Um, so you can use this for for filtering out certain things. Um, it's pretty neat. So you can go out to uh, projectoxford.ai and you can actually just play around with this. Just upload a photo and see what it tells you. It's pretty neat. And then there's some samples out there, too. Uh, service fabric, which I think we've talked about on the show before. Um, so there was a session on that. So finally, some details. I know this was sort of teased earlier. Um, so take a look at that. For, so that's for building stateful microservices. So really, um, you know, high throughput, um, low latency, in-memory type of functionality is is great for service fabric. And there was an entire session on that. Uh, SQL database, a couple new features added there. Uh, for example, transparent data encryption which is um, needed for some people. Um, let's see here. There's a tool to assess performance needs called the Service Tier Advisor. So it'll tell you uh, what cert, what uh, pricing tier you should be in, basically. Um, and then there's a, this Elastic Data Pool, which I believe this is the feature that lets you um, have a whole bunch of uh, different SQL databases and basically pay for them as a group based on the, the total usage. Uh, and then Full Text Search has been added as well. So SQL database has really grown up over the past couple of years. It was pretty limited a few years ago. Um, I used it in the really early days and it was, you know, it was extremely limited to the point where, you know, you almost had to build something to be specialized for it. And now there are so few differences and actually there's a lot more advantage of this uh, than installing in a straight VM that this is becoming extremely compelling. So if you're using SQL databases today, I would take a look at this. Yeah, and I know that full text search is something that when we worked together, we were needing for a certain feature like two or three years ago. Yeah. So it, it really brings uh, the SQL Azure uh, into uh, alignment more with some of the features that you have with the on-prem stuff, but yet yeah, still above and beyond because it's in the cloud, it's already set up. It's It's just... Yeah, the, the big thing is like um, high availability. So, you know, setting one of these things up and having it run actual multiple instances and configuring that on prem. Like I'm not a SQL expert, so that people will probably think that that's really easy. But for me to actually go through and set up, you know, like the always on availability groups and all that, um, it would probably take me a lot of um, Internet searches and a lot of time making a whole bunch of mistakes to actually get that up and running. Uh, whereas this, I can just say, give me a database and I get it for free. Uh, let's see here. Uh, there's some some stats that they mentioned. More than 500 new Azure features in the past year. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, storing over 50 trillion storage objects, which is just a mind-boggling number of storage objects. Um, more information came out about the app service, Azure app service architecture. So we'll just have a link to that. Um, and let's talk about Visual Studio now, Carl. Yeah, this is uh, the first announcement here is something that Scott Hanselman was demoed and he's really working it up to try to blow people's minds. <laughs> yeah. And it worked. Yeah. Uh, I know a few people that were on Twitter uh, having Twitter conversations with me really got excited over this. So the first one's Visual Studio Code. And this is not big Visual Studio. It's not the IDE, but it's a, a simpler code editor. So it's very much in the lines of uh, Notepad++, Sublime, you know, all those editors, Adam, that, yeah. Adam, that people have used alternatively and outside of Visual Studio. And the awesome thing was, is, is it works on Mac, Linux, and Windows. Right. 
And uh, last week we had talked about Electron Shell, and that's part of the technology that's actually making this possible. So this is, you know, essentially a, a web wrapper of a local application that's running cross-platform web content. Yeah, and this is good. This is good. I, I download, I installed it right away, again, over my, my LTE, but that's okay. Um, it's It's really snappy, like it opens quick, and I know we've talked on the show about that before where... You know, you have like a solution file and you accidentally double click it and then, you know, Visual Studio starts open. You're like, no, because your <laughs> system is just gone for a few minutes. But this like starts within a second. I would say it's as fast as Sublime Text. It seems uh, based on when I went used Atom, it, this seems way, way faster than Atom. Uh, but you get things like um, Git integration, which is really cool. Uh, you need Node.js stuff, ASP.NET stuff. Um, it's really cool. And I this is this is like V1, right? I mean, this is just the initial release. And being able to do this cross-platform with the exact same functionality, I think, is uh, is pretty huge. So we'll we'll have to see where that goes. But I, I will. I've already replaced uh, Sublime Text with this. I don't see any reason to use Sublime Text at this point. Um, okay, uh, Visual Studio 2015. There's a release candidate available, so we'll have a link to that so you can download that. Um, that's pretty exciting. I think I'm going to. Um, for Visual Studio, I will probably just switch over to 2015 now, uh, based on how stable this was. I was running uh, both on on a couple of my systems, but I think I'm just gonna just make the leap now. I've been running all my personal coding through 2015 for a while now, and I've had no problems on on any of the yeah. updates. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, and then Visual Studio 2013 uh, update five, uh, the release candidate for that is out. So even if you are still using 2013, there's good news for you. Uh, TypeScript 1.5 beta and this, I got a link this session to, but, uh, they were, they were talking about some of the new features in there. Um, and we're actually going to have a TypeScript episode in the next few weeks. So we'll talk about that as well. And then also, um, Anders, he talked quite a bit and I actually, I need to go back and watch his session, but he talked quite a bit about TypeScript 1.6 and the new, um, or the async await functionality on the roadmap. At least I think he did. Yeah. Cause it was the future of TypeScript, uh, async await and richer library. So I got to go and watch that one still, but that's super, super exciting because async await is one of the greatest things about.net being able to write asynchronous code so easily and JavaScript, it's always kind of a pain, even if you're using a promise framework. So being able to do async await in TypeScript is just, I, that's, it's just so incredibly exciting. It's not even funny. Um, and then, uh, visual studio online, there's an extensibility model for that, uh, which I know a lot of people have been waiting for so they can go out there and customize visual studio online a little bit more. Okay. Let's get into the miscellaneous announcement. I actually just threw one last thing that probably didn't sync over, but, uh, GitHub also announced a GitHub extension for visual studio. And, uh, there's there's a blog post on, uh, Phil hacks blog sent called GitHub inside your visual studio. And They, they really knocked this extension out of the park. It integrates well. You can have two-factor authentication. Um, it, it's everything you want in a GitHub, you know, in, in a Git extension for Visual Studio, and it just brings everything right over. So if but you are Carl, using... Visual Studio already supported Git. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, check it out. Yeah, no, this is this is cool. And then, yeah, having the direct uh, GitHub support is pretty awesome. I haven't checked this out yet. I definitely want to check this out because I use I use the GitHub app quite a bit. And I love how how just love how they do things. They make it just they make it delightful to use. Uh, Okay, so we should we jump in the miscellaneous now. Uh, Project Spartan is now Edge. What do you think of the name? I, I have no problem with the name. I just think the icon is ugly as heck. 
Yeah, I'm I'm totally indifferent to the name. I really don't care. No, um, the, I, yeah, the E is kind of weird. I, I know why they wanted a blue E yeah. and I and I'm okay with it, but it just it's got a weird like mullet in the back or something. I don't know. I don't know. Uh some people might look at it and be like, well, my E is too edgy. <laughs> no, at, I, I don't know. At it's least funny. it's still a blue E. I totally understand why they did that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh but you know, it got its official name now, so now we can just, you know, concentrate you know, not on the marketing anymore. Look at at the uh, the features that it has. So you know, it's still it's still on that forked engine that's off of Trident, but it's becoming something new. It's going to be getting you know extensions. It's not there yet. Um, you know, it looks modern. It's going to update through the store. It is a universal app, and it has Cortana integration. So there's a lot of cool things with it. You know, it has uh, integrated reading mode. Uh, you can save pages for later. You can annotate on them. All that stuff is still continuing on, be- just has that new name and branding now. Yeah, and I saw today that like reading mode will do translation. Um, like this stuff is really refined. The extensions are supposed to be nearly compatible with Chrome. So if you are a Chrome extension author, it sounds like within you know 15 minutes, you should be able to get your extension up and running on here once this has extension support. Um, so that's that's pretty exciting. And then Cortana um, seemed like a gimmick at first, but when you, when you look at some of the scenarios, it actually is useful to have that in your browser to provide contextual information and then also go out and fetch you other information. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, let's see, .NET support on Linux in Docker. Um, so yeah, lots of you know lots of uh, Docker reinforcement and and just container announcements. Um, so let's so I guess the announcement here was you know the the .NET um the new .NET core being able to run on linux and it runs within docker which is pretty cool um we also have a new uh or there's actually a preview now of the .NET core for linux and mac so you can start to uh play around with that uh and what was kind of cool about that if you are running .NET um in linux for example and you're running in a docker container you can actually get uh you can actually run and debug that which is really cool being able to step through your code on a completely different platform within a container uh, you know, running within Docker is pretty cool. Uh, if you use the full.net framework today, uh, 4.6 release candidate is out. So you can start testing with that. Um, and then this is kind of a cool project. There's this, um, this new nano server that was announced and, uh, this is kind of neat. I actually, I went to this session and, and I actually had some additional notes here, but it's basically a deployment option for windows server. So whenever you go, um, whenever you want to install this, you actually, it's a couple things. First of all, it doesn't have the driver is built in. It won't go grab those. It was, this thing's meant to be like lean and mean. So you basically have to do a, a slipstream deployment where you integrate all the drivers in first and then you install it. And uh, they said they, they dug out some like ancient server. Um, they put it on hundred meg network and they installed this uh, nano server and it took less than three minutes to install. So that was, that was on like really crappy hardware. So in all likelihood, it's going to be like way, way faster than that. Um, it has things like uh, Hyper-V, um, it supports things like ASP.NET, it has clustering support, so it's really, really powerful. So they took out um, all the things that you you wouldn't normally need to, to run and to really optimize this thing. Um, let's see here, an app that runs on the nano server will run on the full server. So if you do target basically nano server, you're going to run everywhere, which is really cool. And then there's these revert, this concept of this reverse forward or where you can run um, apps that weren't specifically designed for nano. And then they'll, they'll, they'll fail in a couple different ways on unsupported API calls. But through this, they actually got things like Java and Node.js running up on this with, without any modification. Um, so instead of a five gig 
install of Windows Server, this thing's about 400 megabytes. So that's a huge, huge, huge reduction. And this thing boots super fast as well. Um, I think that's all I want to talk about on Nano Server. I think it's really cool, though, because, you know, I, I actually tried to do this. Oh, man, it was probably like eight or nine years ago. I was trying to take Windows and, you know, un- I uninstalled everything that wasn't needed. And I tried uh, deleting all the files that weren't needed. And I was trying to disable services that weren't needed. I was trying to get this thing down to be super small or run in a VM so you could pack more VMs onto a machine. Um, so this this has a lot of use as being able to run in a container being able to be the server that the container runs on. And then you don't have to worry about things like um, patching as much. Uh, this thing will require like 90% less patches. Well, especially like when you strip out the need for a GUI, now you don't need any of the code for the GUI. So, I mean, that's just, I mean, when you think yeah, about that's a like, lot right there, you think about like all the things that they stripped out because they're superfluous for what a server does. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can just strip out an amazing amount of code. And I think, what do they say? That's, that's like 90% smaller. Well, yeah, it's 400 meg versus five gigs. Yeah, I mean- that that's ridiculous. That's like ninety five percent smaller. I mean, I mean that that <laughs> makes the attempts that you were making just seem ridiculous. I mean, yeah, yeah, hey, exactly, exactly. This is this is pretty incredible. Oh, let's see. Office has a unified endpoint endpoint for API all API calls. In fact, I think it was just a single API endpoint for everything Microsoft. I think it was um, it was like api.microsoft.com or something, or maybe it was graph.microsoft.com. I don't know if you had looked at that. And then it was like slash office. So it was a real nice looking API URL, not something that, you know, looks insane and you can't sort of look at it and, and figure out what it's, what it's all about and how to use it. Um, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then I, also I'll go ahead. I was going to say, it was really cool about these office add-ons from a user's perspective. If you're, if you're logged in and you're using an add-on and then let's say you just go through the online version of the office web app, it just shows up. You get it. That exact, yeah. that exact same plugin exactly as it worked before. And yeah, if you, I, yep. If you build an ad, it works everywhere. And, and I just think that just shows the power of what they've put into some of these uh, office web products. I, they're really amazing pieces of software and they're giving a good chunk of away away of it for free. If you have right. OneDrive, you have web uh, or you have Word, Excel, PowerPoint at the very least. OneNote. Yeah, they give you they give you a taste for free. A really big taste. Yeah. Uh, Vorline JS, this came out in the keynote as well. So this is an open source, extensible platform agnostic tool for remotely debugging and testing your JavaScript. So, um, I haven't played around with this one yet. This one's also on my list, but being able to, uh, get your app out on like a whole bunch of different devices. So like you could put it out on different phones. So this sort of reminds me of like the Xamarin test cloud, but you know, maybe for like your QA lab, but being able to put that out there with a pure JavaScript solution that lets you, um, you know, like I said, remotely debug and then also walk through and, and test your code is pretty cool. And then the other announcement was that uh, that they are building a new reactor space in San Francisco. So there's one in in Redmond. I don't know if it was called a reactor space, but it is now. And then there's going to be one in San Francisco as well. So I'm guessing that uh, like hackathons will happen there. And then also um, like startups that are uh, trying to build something, you know, with with Microsoft technologies can can use the space and and get resources and things like that and work together. So that, I think that's pretty exciting. We'll have to see how that shapes up over time. Is that is that everything build? Uh, one last thing, if you have nothing yep. else, um, if you go to the Channel Nine website to look at the sessions, mm-hmm. one thing I'd like to point out is if you look at the session types, there's a checkbox for pre-recorded. There are so many sessions that they couldn't all fit there i mean they what had somewhere between like eight and 12 sessions at a time going on at once yeah. and those were just the breakout ones there was also the channel nine ones and they had a few other spots where there was just you know uh live uh, uh 
sessions going on, but they also had the concept of pre-recorded. The ones that they had to get out for some way, shape, or form, they still recorded 27 additional sessions. I didn't even see those. That's awesome. Yeah, and I totally missed it. Somebody else pointed it out to me. So go go check it out. Um, We'll have a link in the show notes to that. But if you just want to do it, if you go to that session type, just check pre-recorded and hit the filter button, and you'll get it. Um, There's stuff like Connect stuff. I mean, Azure Service Fabric. I mean, it's just every single genre that there was there additional c plus plus ones had android ios stuff in there too oh yeah what can azure do for android and ios yeah lots of lots of good stuff in here and and, and even like really useful ones that are kind of hard localizing apps for multilingual i mean just across the universal platform i mean some of that isn't straightforward but definitely some great content there that a lot of people might not have otherwise seen so you just yep. want to make sure you have the opportunity to get the information you might want to see yeah, and, and pretty much every session was recorded. So um, going out to channel nine lets you see all that. And one tip that I have as well, pretty much every session will have, um, you can also just download the slides, which is very useful. So whenever you actually dive into one of these videos underneath like the video player, uh, there's actually options to download these things. So you can actually download them as an MP3 if you want to listen to them on your phone. Uh, there's different quality of MP4s that you can download. So if you want to watch these things on the go, And then uh, typically also there is a section there that says slides and you can either download the slides or you can view them online, which is pretty cool. So some of the sessions where I was like, I don't quite know what they're going to be talking about. I was able to look at the slides and then kind of make a decision as to whether or not I wanted to hear, you know, the in-depth explanation. Okay. Um, I totally didn't come up with an Azure pick of the week. So let's move on to the apps of the week. That's right. I got two apps of the week. So, <laughs> so the first one is the build 2015 app and you're like, build is over. Why do I need it? Uh, what the cool thing about it is, is it's kind of easy to look for sessions and, uh, you know, filter and kind of get the idea of, uh, what the content is. And then they have a link that'll take you straight to the webpage, to the video and the viewer. So if you just want another way to kind of discover some of these sessions that they've pre-recorded, Download the Build 2015 app anyways. Um, they have it on all the platforms, Windows Phone, iOS, Android. We'll have all those links in the show notes. Okay, cool. And yeah, I didn't realize there was any use to have it um, after the fact, but that's cool. Yeah. And the other one, um, the only reason I put it here is this was almost an app of the week in the past. So we've had a previous app by Glenn uh, at Tepeshi on Twitter uh, called Concert Wall. And this is another one from him. So another one of his apps actually got featured during a breakout session. So both him and another uh, gentleman called Diani Hansen uh, have an app called Cleva. So if you're into biking or just kind of tracking your fitness, um, there's a service called Strava. And Cleva is a Windows Phone client for that. And what's cool is uh, in the build session, Tim Hewer, the guy, uh, uh, I believe he's project manager of XAML, um, or That's at least right. uh, close enough yeah, job description. XAML wizard, I think, is this title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he had a session along with somebody else kind of turning that Windows phone application that they already had into, a, you know, fit on the make sense on big windows and show you how you can use some of these new controls like the split view and the relative panel and really how just by switching a few of those elements over and deleting a lot of other code, because in the past, not having these types of elements meant you had to put a lot of extra code in to make up for it to get the design you want. So this is a really nice well-designed app. It looks good. It's easy to use. And they even mentioned that this is a well-done app using the tools that were available, but they made it even better. And so you can have that one binary that you still have that phone experience and you also have the, the big windows experience as well. You can just tell by looking at it. That's a good app. It is. 
It's amazing how you can do that, right? You can just tell that, you know, there was, it was polished. Cool. It looks like a good app. Okay, Carl, pick a number between one and four. Four. This is the last card, by the way. So we're going to have to shuffle the other ones and figure out how we're going to do this. Uh, four. Would you rather wake up tomorrow with a jack-o'-lantern for a head <laughs> or with tree limbs for arms and legs? Well, that one's easy. Uh, as long as I can still function normally, I'd stick the jack-o'-lantern for a head. Oh, man. Haven't you ever seen, uh, what was that movie? With uh, Groot. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> okay, watch that. Because if I can have like Groot arms and Groot legs, <laughs> I'm, I'm going for that. So he's totally. pretty awesome. Yeah. So I, I guess I might. Have well, yeah, to he just re, yeah, he just regrows. I mean, if something breaks off, oh. he just regrows. They, he can make his arms and legs longer. He can wrap around things. He's super strong. So if they're not normal tree limbs and they're Groot limbs, then yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, otherwise... Otherwise, he'd be like a pirate with like two peg legs and two peg arms. And <laughs> that would no, that wouldn't work. OK, so I'll pick. Uh, well, OK, I'll pick something on the other side. Oh, which side did I do here? OK, so I'm going to pick. I'll pick number one. Oh, of course, it's a long one. OK, if you were shrunk to the size of a thimble, would you rather have to run across the playing area of a pinball machine during a game or across an air hockey table during a game? Um, That's a good question. Well, air hockey would be like deadly pinball. Wouldn't be, I'd pick pinball, I guess. It's pinball's <laughs> still deadly. I mean, that ball would be, yeah, but I mean, with the, with, with the air hockey table, you're going to have air, currents. air, air blowing you off while, while the, 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 you know, what, what do you call it? The puck like yeah. flies back and forth so incredibly fast. It's not like you could duck that with the ball. It'd be like Indiana Jones, right? I could just Indiana no, Jones no. it to the other side. The thing is, if you put it the scale, that pinball go way faster than that. So either way would be bad. But at so least you're you okay have, with so no, Indiana no, no. Jones is actually accurate. But if we scale it, no, just no, no, just mess with no. That. My my thing is, I I still would pick <laughs> pinball. It's just you have more control at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. You know, if we're using Indiana Jones, uh, you know, physics, it certainly doesn't scale down to small size. Everybody knows that, of course. <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, I just want to give a shout out to everybody that we saw at Bill. We, we met so many cool people. Oh yeah. We went to, um, that was the other thing we went to, uh, I guess it wasn't the blogger bash. It was just a, a meetup, right? Yep. Was sponsored by a Chris Woodruff. He put it together, but Mary Jo Foley and Paul Therott really, uh, put the message out about there. We mentioned that we were going to be there and we were, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that we, was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. We met a lot of cool people there, uh, including I had a chance to talk to Steve, uh, Googs and John Shuchuk pretty high yep. up in the Microsoft organization. So that was, yeah. that was fun. Uh, yeah. It's, it's funny. They're, they're in my org chart, but I had never, I had actually never met Googs in person until that night. <laughs> so that was the first time I actually met him. And then you got a picture with them and, uh, and then tweeted about it, which was pretty cool. And uh, I met a whole bunch of cool people. And then uh, Ed bot was there as well. And I just got a kick out of that. Cause he actually recognized me, I think from Twitter. Um, and, and he's always cool. Cause he's kind of, uh, he always tells it like it is. Uh, so it was kind of neat. Uh, it was neat talking to him. Yeah, and also Gabe all showed up, and had a, at least I had a chance to talk to him. And yep, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, unfortunately. But that was uh, that was pretty cool. So I just wanted to give a shout out to everybody that we met. That was uh, that was really cool, and it was great meeting everybody. And uh, okay, so Carl, where can people find you? You can find me at wpdevguy.com and at Twitter on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at ytechie.com, and that's where I'm going to have the. Um, uh, the build mega list with uh, everything that we talked about and, and links. And they'll also be in the show notes. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash why techie. 
Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 